In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to See You Next Week in Space. Um, Thank you for being so patient. Amy and I, over the holiday season, decided to take a little break uh, from our typical recording schedule. And so this is um, kind of like, I guess, if you want to think about this as the series premiere of season two. (laughs) Ooh, season two, that sounds so profesh. I know. The season (laughs) that will last, if it's anything like this past season one, it will go for 50 episodes. (laughs) Um, Great. So it's a very long one. Um, Oh, also, as always, I'm Sarah. Hello. Um, And... Yeah, I guess uh, I'm excited to come back, uh, come back to recording and talking about funny things uh, and excited to come back uh, to a reality of 2021, which hopefully is um, (laughs) like minimally improving each day as 2021 (laughs) takes off. Uh, Amy, do you have any like... New Year's resolutions or anything you're going to be working on over the next months? No. No, I'm perfect. Mm. Um, Congratulations. Improvements. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I mean, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. Um, it's hard work to be perfect, but, you know, someone's got to do it. Uh, no, I don't, I don't have any New Year's resolutions, but it is not because I'm perfect. That was a joke. Um, but... Yeah, I don't. I'm not so into like the New Year's resolutiony stuff. I kind of like to do stuff when I want to do stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I have some like routines that have fallen off in the past couple months that I'd like to kind of get myself back into. Of you know, probably eating less sugar, mm-hmm. doing a little bit more um, exercise that has fallen off track a bit but not not any real resolutions just kind of your basic stuff yeah I mean I'm never much of a resolution maker in my past and I feel like for those of you out there that are let's just aim low oh a hundred percent like give yourself I mean like a break and choose a, a resolution that is not about like quote unquote self-improvement I would say like just Mm -hmm. pick a resolution 
that is actually something that feels extremely achievable, whatever that might be for you. Yeah. And maybe one that's a little bit more like, (laughs) who am I to talk? But one that's maybe a little bit more like self-affirming as opposed to like self punishing yeah that makes sense yeah I think that's right um and so whatever that might be in in kind of in light of this mood of like let's just be relaxed and <laughs> let's just keep things chill uh I chose for our um kind of premiere episode of season two something that I thought would be significantly lighter than our last episode of Snowpiercer. Um, (laughs) That was still about the future and about the future that was actually kind of a hopeful vision of the future. Um, So Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about today? So we're talking about the iconic um, show from the 1960s and 1980s, though the episodes we're talking about are the ones from the 60s. Um, and that is the Jetsons. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think everybody, even if you're young, I feel like you have like some like cultural knowledge of the Jetsons. Um, and yeah. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this will become apparent as we talk a bit about the show more. Um, but I think you're right that if kind of almost regardless of what age you are, unless maybe you're under the age of 10, um, you've probably run across this somewhere. Um, I would think. Because there's a lot of episodes, first of all, and then they were some, they went into syndication, um, which Mm -hmm. is where you and I probably first ran across them as children. Um, They remain in syndication. They're all over things like the Cartoon Network and stuff so I think even though even though when I look at this right here with the the years you said they ran it ran from 1962 to 63 and then again a different iteration in 1985 to 87 and that's not actually very long in either case no I'm a little surprised about that yeah well so maybe that's a good place to start so um I hadn't realized this um but the show the Jetsons uh, is this kind of multi-installment project that grows mm. to have 75 episodes over these different installments. So there's the first season of The Jetsons, which runs from 62 to 63 and is 24 mm-hmm. episodes. Then, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, when it was originally conceptualized and started airing on TV, it was um, used as like a primetime TV show, just like the Flintstones was. Um, And so it it did not perform well in that capacity. Mm. Um, So then it was moved into the Saturday morning cartoon block and then did quite well. Um, And so, and so then it, so then it did its little run from 62 to 63. Then it went into syndication um, throughout the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. And then it got retooled into something that was called like the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic World or whatever. Um, oh. And so seasons two and three come from being like featured 
in this larger Hanna-Barbera kind of like collection oh, of stuff. Oh, um, So that is also interesting too, that the vast majority of the Jetsons episodes, which feel very 1960s, were actually made in the 1980s. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting because especially like we'll we'll talk about it, but I did find one of the funnier things about it since I haven't watched it since I was a kid is that it is the 1960s but space yeah yeah (laughs) like it feels very 60s yes um so it does this kind of weird intermittent run then in 1990 there is a Jetsons movie that's made that Mm. features the voice work of the original cast who I'll talk about shortly Um, And then since that time, there have been a few different attempts to try and make additional films that seem like they haven't really gone much of anywhere. Um, I'm sort of surprised that they that a live action one hasn't been done just because I do feel like the live action Flintstones. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was terrible, terrible. But I felt like it was at least the first one they did was relatively well received i mean i remember watching that and thinking it was fine as a child or whenever i mean it was stupid Um, but it was fun uh but i mean the most recent one of this has been happening like this year so we may yet see um Mm. an attempt at making Mm. a live action Jetsons um but the movie in 1990 was an animated one and very and just like a long form version of one of the shows um I also want to mention that um in the 1960s installment this is the first all-color broadcast of any primetime show on ABC Hmm. which was the network that aired this show um so for Mm -hmm. example like the Flintstones and the Jetsons were both made by Hanna-Barbera. Um, and the Flintstones is actually the reason why the Jetsons gets made because the Flintstones um, is this wild success and it's a primetime show. Um, and so obviously it's like, well, we've got this one family in the Stone Age. Let's imagine this other family in the future. Um mm-hmm. And so, whereas the Flintstones, even though it was always animated in color, it was broadcast in black and white for the first two seasons. Um, Oh, interesting. But ABC committed to making this be broadcast in color from the start. Um, Interesting. So we're at this kind of technological uh, moment of change in the TV, Mm. like kind of broadcasting world in general. And then also mm. worth mentioning, particularly because of so much like anti-gravity stuff that's happening in this show, <laughs> um, it's su- supposed to be Earth 100 years in the future from the early 60s. So it's supposed to be the 2060s on uh, Earth. I, see, I missed, I missed that because I missed that on two accounts <laughs> because <laughs> I thought... I thought there was one part where they were, where one of them was going into like a chamber and I thought it said 19, I thought it said 1999, 2000, 2001. And she went into the 2001. So I thought it was supposed to be the year 2000. And I I was like, whoa. Yeah. And number two, I didn't feel like it was on earth because they call everything space. Right. Now I get that it's like supposed to be future. But it doesn't have any sense of 
earthboundness to no because really, everything like, is like up in the sky um yeah and so that was also puzzling to me as well and my handwritten notes have a lot of like what year is this where is this yeah. um but the wikipedia page says that it is supposed to be a century in the future um and that it okay. is in fact set on earth um which is okay. important uh for generally yeah, understanding i didn't get that from watching it but no that's no i didn't either uh which we'll talk about soon and then the other thing that i just want to mention is i've said the name or the phrase hanna barbera cartoons uh a number of times does that mean anything to you amy um i mean i recognize the name from stuff like this and I guess you said the Flint. I recognize the name. I don't know much about it other than what I'm reading right here. Yeah. So Hanna-Barbera, the Hanna-Barbera kind of cartoon empire uh, was founded in 1957 by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, um, who were animators at MGM. Uh, they're also the mm-hmm. creators of Tom and Jerry. So Tom and Jerry is an MGM mm-hmm. production. Um, Mm. and it's, and I didn't really get into why they decided to leave MGM, but they both decided to leave MGM to create their own animation studio. Um, Mm. and that studio is responsible for things like the Flintstones, the Yogi Bear show, Scooby-Doo and all of those iterations, um, and the Smurfs, uh, many other, I mean, all all very iconic indeed i mean many other things as well but i think those are like the biggest name things that people would recognize mm-hmm. um and you can also probably tell from the shows that i mentioned that like the heyday of hanna barbera is through the 1960s and 70s um by the early 80s the company is not doing financially particularly well um mm-hmm. so they start going through this series of kind of uh, mergers and being acquired by larger and larger companies. So by 1996, uh, Hanna-Barbera is acquired by Warner Brothers. um, And now because Warner Brothers has become one of like the four companies in the world, um, Mm -hmm. that means that they're also associated with Cartoon Network, which is why someone um, significantly younger than us has maybe seen the Jetsons or any of these cartoons mm-hmm. I just mentioned before because they're getting pumped into like Cartoon Network and all of its affiliates. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was nice because in my figuring out about this, um, the Jetsons as well as most of these other properties I just listed still like the intellectual property still belongs to the Hanna-Barbera company. So despite all of like the acquisitions, um, there's a, there's still a certain amount of creative control uh, that the Hanna-Barbera mm-hmm. uh, group kind of maintains. I'm pretty sure uh, original Hanna and Barbera are no longer with us, but, um, you know, someone is monitoring their intellectual property. Um, mm. So that is, I just thought that would be some kind of useful grounding into like what is going into this show and like where it sits in kind of the landscape of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably especially useful to think about in terms of how this show is formatted as well as the cast of characters that it includes. Um, mm-hmm. It helps to know that this was envisioned as a primetime show um, yeah. that was going to be popular 
with adults as well as children. Um, yeah. And I think as well, if you're familiar with the Flintstones, this has a lot of similar like similarities to that format uh, and formula. Uh, yeah. So let's just kick off and talk about who is in this. Um, so yep. the main patriarch of the Jetson family is George Jetson, uh, who is voiced by an actor named George O'Hanlon, who was 50 uh, when the series began. Um, mm -hmm. His first credit was in 1932 um, as an wow. actor. And so we'll see here as well, what's interesting about this cast is there are some people uh, in it who would have been recognizable in front of camera who had both mm -hmm. kind of in like on camera careers as well as voice acting careers and some people who exclusively were voice actors. And George O'Hanlon is okay. one of the ones who does both. Um, okay. And in fact, what I realized is that um, when the Jetsons came out in the early 1960s, George's voice would have been, I think, quite recognizable um, mm. because he was in this series of short movies um, that started in the early 1940s, ran all through the 40s and into the mid 50s where they were just called like, so you want to, whatever. Um, and he would then go through, then this same guy, he played this character called Joe McDokes. Um, and then mm -hmm. he would like do these little shorts about a given subject matter. So it would be like, um, so you want to open a bank account. There isn't one called that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so then, and I assume like in the context of where these would appear is these might be shorts that were played like before the, the main feature of a movie or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I, from that, and I mean, he made dozens of these things. So I'm pretty sure that from that people would have recognized this guy's voice um, just cause he would have been somebody who would be around. Um, one of the, to me, the funniest title of one of these shorts is, so you want to keep your hair what does that even mean i assume is it for uh i assume it's for people like men struggling with hair loss but i don't know oh wow <laughs> um but how interesting but i think these are meant to be like light and funny um all of these different mm -hmm. shorts um and then he also uh is in a lot of like one-off TV appearances in shows of the day like i love lucy mr ed petticoat junction um, but probably in addition to this Joe McDokes thing, probably the thing he kind of becomes the most known for is voicing George Jetson. Um, yeah. and his final acting role is voicing George in the 1990 movie. He dies, um, actually I think in 1989, but you know how it takes time. So like the movie comes oh, out yeah, in 1990. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. George. Um, then, of course, we have Jane, his wife. Um, that's from <laughs> that's all she is. That's from the credits. Uh, from and that's voiced by uh, an actor named Penny Singleton, uh, who was fifty four mm -hmm. at the time that this came out. Um, and she, much like uh, George O'Hanlon, 
would have been very recognizable to a crowd from the early 1960s because she was also mm -hmm. in a series of movies um, that were not shorts like the So You Want To ones, but like not fully, fully feature length films either. Like I looked at a lot of these mm -hmm. and um, they were like maybe like 68 or 70 minutes kind of things. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's my type of feature length. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the length I like. Uh, but so she's in this series of movies uh, like called Blondie Goes Wherever or Blondie Does Whatever. Um, and she plays mm -hmm. a character named Blondie Bumstead. Um, Whoa. In movies. And these movies run from 1938 to 1950. And again, she does like at least probably 15 of them in that time or more. Um, and so what was weird about this is I actually realized I did know what this was. So Blondie Bumstead is um, married. That is such a name. I know. Well, she's married to Dagwood Bumstead and they are actually. Oh my God, that is a terrible name. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Fair. Uh, so, but <laughs> Blondie and Dagwood um, is a comic strip that was popular in the 1930s that, mm. um, you know, is very like also a blueprint for something like this, where it's like a mom and dad and their two kids. And like the comic strip is just about like kind of the various hijinks people get into. Um, and so from the comic strip, we get this series of movies that actually make I don't know why Blondie is the one who's named in it because you would think at that age and time Dagwood would be the one um, kind of given the name and the title. But Blondie is always given the name, but mm -hmm. Blondie and Dagwood always appear together in these movies. Um, okay. And so she is the actress who plays Blondie this whole time. Um, and so the movies are so successful that then there are two different attempts to create TV series about this family um, that don't seem to go much of anywhere. Like they each have like about a season's worth of material. Uh, but anyway, all of that is to say is again, Penny Singleton's voice I think would have been recognizable. Uh, and, she, yeah. and she as an actress would have been recognizable at this time uh, for the audience that it's mm -hmm. aimed at. Um, and she also, her last uh, credit of any sort uh, is also the 1990 movie, though she lives until the early 2000s. Um, mm. Next, and so, so like that to me is interesting is that we have uh, like these two, the two kind of main protagonists of the series are coming out of these, um, let's say, B-movie territory serial careers um mm -hmm. and then kind of moving into voice acting and most of mm -hmm. the rest of the cast are people who from the start are dedicated to being voice actors um and mm -hmm. one of the first of those uh who i've never heard of this guy but i'm glad i learned about him uh is the guy who voices the character of elroy um which in the credit is his boy elroy um, which almost makes me wonder if they named him Elroy so that they could have that rhyme. rhyme boy. <laughs> Probably. Um, but it's played by an actor named Dawes Butler, who was 46, um, when the series first came out. 
Um, and probably mm. unsurprisingly for someone who goes on to be a professional voice actor, uh, his initial interest in performance was uh, as an impersonator. Uh, he was like mm. kind of traveling around doing impersonations of different people. Um, but basically, mm -hmm. he had a talent for mimicry and voice, and specifically mimicking voices, um, mm -hmm. pretty much er from the start. Um, mm -hmm. And so he finds his way to Hanna-Barbera, um, and then that's his whole career, is making these different characters. That's um, he does, he has, that's a great career. Yeah. He has a 30 year collaboration with Hanna-Barbera. And in that time, wow. in that time, some of his most kind of notable characters are Yogi Bear. Hey, boo boo. Um, oh, really? Yep. Huckleberry Hound, who I can't remember how he sounds right now. Um, Quick Draw McGraw, Barney Rubble. Um, and as is often the case with voice acting, um, he also does a lot of like the what I guess would I would call like background voices, like a, the things that are listed as yeah. additional voices. Um, but he also has some mm -hmm. kind of lesser tier characters in the Hanna-Barbera stable as well. Um, and so he be he become like his voice work is a major imprint on the voice acting community in general. Um, because he's around mm -hmm. for a long time, he does all kinds of roles and he starts taking on students, um, unsurprisingly to kind of guide them in their careers and one of his most notable mm -hmm. that he was most proud of is nancy cartwright who does the voice of bart simpson that's hilarious so that his legacy funny. lives on um mm -hmm. and it's something nuts like when i was reading his bio he's responsible for voicing like and making distinct voices for like dozens of characters um and when he passes away uh Hanna-Barbera as is often the case like you can actually weirdly a lot of voice actors can be replaced like someone else can do that voice um but mm -hmm. in his case like he passes away and Hanna-Barbera needed to hire something like six or seven new actors to do all the characters that he was responsible for previously wow um and and I just my last thing that I have here just to show just like how big this guy's kind of impact was. Uh, mm -hmm. He had 376 total credits, all for voice work. That's crazy. Over the that course of crazy. his life. Um, wow. So I had no idea about this, but like that again, like the Jetsons was really meant to be a premier program. Like this was not just some throwaway thing for kids. Like this was drawing in a lot of yeah. different talent. Um, similarly, uh, the woman who voiced Judy, the daughter, um, mm -hmm. is a woman named Janet Waldo, who also was a big impact on the voice acting world. And in particular, um, was a real close kind of working person with Hanna-Barbera. Again, like... Mm. That's why Hanna-Barbera, like why I wanted to tell that story as a part of this, because Hanna-Barbera makes such an impact on animation in the 60s and 70s that if you were doing voice work in that time, you were working with them to some degree. Like it, I can't imagine you would have had much of a career if you didn't at least do some work with them. Um, mm -hmm. And in uh, Janet Waldo's case weirdly i don't know how it's un it's not totally clear how this happens she's discovered by bing crosby 
Uh, when she's young, she wins like some sort of talent competition and he's there and he insists that she come to Hollywood. Um, and so she does. And she starts out, uh, doing like in front of camera work, but doesn't really seem to have much success with that. Um, not necessarily, I don't think because she wasn't a good actress, but like her early credits are all about like being the girl in the coat check room and like things like that. So Mm. it just wasn't going anywhere. Um, Mm. so then she turned her attention to radio, um, Mm. and then from, and then made a really big splash there and unsurprisingly transitions into voice work as a result of that. Um, so her, like just to put this in perspective, her first acting credit in general is in 1938. Her first voice credit doesn't come until 1956. Um, oh, wow. So she takes a while to kind of get herself there. Um, but then even though she's a fully adult grown woman, by the time this comes along, she voices a lot of teen girls throughout the 1960s. That's funny. Judy being one, Josie of Josie and the Pussycats being another. Um and she also does the hmm. voice for Morticia in the cartoon version of The Addams Family, which I didn't even realize oh, that funny. there was, but I would enjoy watching that. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so now we're getting into the other kind of big deal person on this cast who voices Astro, which sounds weird because Astro is a dog. The dog. Um, and so you don't think of <laughs> the dog needing to be voiced by someone. Um, but the voice is iconic of the dog. Indeed. The voice is like. Yes. Uh, the the actor who voices Astro is a guy named Don Messick, who is also a big giant in the world of voice acting. He was 36 when this series started up. Um, similar to Bo- Dawes Butler, he starts out um, wanting to be a ventriloquist. Uh, so again, we can see how that mm. might have a linkage to becoming mm-hmm. a voice actor. He's also friends with Dawes Butler, which kind of, again, brings him closer into the world of voice acting. Um, and then, as I said, just as any voice actor would have been in the 50s and 60s, he gets brought into the Hanna-Barbera stable, where he then voices Boo Boo. Uh, from Yogi Bear. <laughs> uh, and most importantly, and if you heard Astro in the Jetsons, you heard an earlier version of Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah. So that is Don Messick's main character, the character probably he's most known mm. for, is Scooby-Doo. Mm. Um, partly oh, because Scooby-Doo funny. goes then on to be so successful and have so many different iterations of different programs and he voices it every time, uh, basically. Really? Yeah. Um, and, but of course, I also don't want to forget that Don Messick is also important because he does the voice of Papa Smurf as well. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he, that's his only, that's his, that's his only human. <laughs> True. Um, so he's another, well, I guess, are the Smurfs humans? I don't know. No, but... they're not. They're Smurfs. Yeah, okay, fine, but they're not like <laughs> animals the way the other characters No, are. they're maybe humanoid in some way. Yeah. Um so I mean he does he is all around everywhere, but like I just thought that that would be yeah. worth saying. And then the final yeah. kind of main member of the family who doesn't figure much into either of these stories that we're talking about today Mm-mm. um is Rosie the robot 
who is mm, I love Rosie but yeah, yeah she's not in these episodes we talk about yeah and her um that actor is named Gene Vanderpile who was 43 at the time the series kicked off um and mm-hmm. she is actually mostly like her biggest character is Wilma Flintstone so she did that voice, oh, cool. but she also did Pebbles Flintstone. So she did both of the uh, women Flintstone oh, family members. Um, and I don't remember Pebbles talking very much. I don't think she did have to because she was a baby, but maybe they eventually yeah. have her and Bam Bam grow up a little bit. Um, yeah. And she's similar to Janet Waldo where she does some like on camera, in front of camera work, and then ultimately kind of mm-hmm. finds her way into voice acting. And she does quite a lot of the Hanna-Barbera characters as well throughout the 60s and 70s, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are two other people that will be important to talk about in each respective episode. So I will save that uh, for when okay. we get to each one. But so these are the main okay. people that we're talking about. And again, I think all of this is to show that like, this is a high production value, uh, kind of high quality item that is being created. That's the plan. Yeah. Um, with and it, you know, and it clearly works for kids, but somehow for adults, it doesn't seem to be quite as popular as the Flintstones. Um, so we're actually going to talk about two episodes today because they're very short and very simple. Um, and uh, I decided that like we'd have a mini theme of sh- episodes that focus on Judy Jetson um, <laughs> because as a little girl myself, I always thought Judy was the best one <laughs> of anyone in the show. <laughs> um, and so that's that. That's why we're talking about this. So Got it. Um, the first episode we're going to talk about is from season one and it's the second episode of the whole shebang and it's called a date with jet screamer um and it was originally aired on the 30th of september 1962 um so as you would expect we start with our opening credits which i was uh kind of uh indicating sometimes for some of the cast members (laughs) um but mainly because uh i do think this is like a legitimately good like catchy opening credit song yeah it is good it's very 60s again I mean it's like very much the it just intros every single character as related to the patriarch well certainly (laughs) that and just like those that type of intro in general not just like that aspect of it but just that type of um theme song or intro to a tv show i feel like is very 60s yes i mean we don't really even have uh like opening credits to speak of much anymore in shows no um and some shows have kept it but it's very it's usually not like introing you to the characters it might be introing you to like the vibe of the show but it's not like people turning around and like having a little smile and like doing their little pose that yeah. they used to do. You yeah. Know? Um, and this one is very like uh, meet George Jetson and then it introduces all the different family members. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, this also is important to just kind of remind us again that we are in fact on earth because the opening like vision is of like space and the sky and the stars but then we like close up onto earth and it shows the north american south american continents 
Um, mm. and, and then we like appear in the car of the Jetson family. So yeah, it's, so they may not necessarily, yeah, they may not necessarily be in the United States, but they're somewhere in the Western hemisphere <laughs> on earth somewhere. Um, all right, fine. And it's also very stereotypical because Elroy gets dropped off at his school, Judy gets off, dropped off at her school, and then Jane gets dropped off at the shopping at center. Home. Oh, I forgot that. Part. Yeah, she gets dropped off at the um, shopping center, and like George takes out money from his wallet to give her to take to the shopping center, and then she just takes his whole wallet and goes. Oh gosh, I didn't even remember that. <laughs> and I, I can't remember what the elementary school is called, but the high school is called like Orbit High School. Yeah, I think Elroy's school is called like Little Dipper academy or oh, something yes, you're right. That's, <laughs> like, that's right that's right um and they're, so they like they they go hard on the space stuff. well like, that's the other thing to say is that like each of these buildings is held up on a floating platform in the sky yeah and they're driving yeah. in a car that is a flying car and when i say they're dropped yeah. off i mean that quite literally because they're put into these little pods that yep. like drop and they out get shot out yeah drop yeah. out the bottom of the car and then it floats them to where they need to yep. go um i mean i don't hate it like i understand <laughs> why this was like the vision for the future because it seems super fun um it, just like we're not there yet <laughs> yeah um and as well oh that's one other thing i should say is so the look of the show is in part inspired by a style of architecture i want to just like look it up again um ah yeah a style of architecture called i think you pronounce it guji or googie style but i think it's guji hmm. um and it's a futuristic style of architecture um that emerges in kind of like the 1940s let's say and it's like you still see this in a lot of places where um like stuff looks futuristic in this very particular way which now we associate with the 1960s because it's old but like mm -hmm. um yeah. the very space age orbities like the circular buildings like all stuff like that yeah um yeah yeah so it's inspired those tables that those like white tables yes. that had like the white chairs yes yeah so it's all inspired by that and that remains yeah. the case throughout the whole kind of run mm. of the show so mm -hmm. um, in terms of the episode itself, it kicks off and we're seeing George flying in his car on his way to work, maybe, or on his way home. It's not totally clear. Um, yeah. And uh, he's cutting through flying traffic. Uh, and he has a lot of, like, gadgets that allow him to do this. Uh, and he's doing it. And it's, of course, extremely dangerous as it would be on the sky or in the ground. Like, it's just not a mm. great way to live your life. Um, and so a space cop, I shouldn't call them space cops, though. They're just high up above Earth. That's like... Yeah, well, but they call everything space, yeah. like, in the show. So the cop uh, pulls George over, and he actually... Do you remember how he manages to stop the car? No, I don't. He uses a magnet. Oh no! I didn't like his that. little space 
like I guess it would be like a space motorcycle has oh. a big magnet in it that he like unleashes and then it stops oh. the car. Um, oh man. Yeah. And so then he gives George a ticket because of course Jane, uh, George is endangering everybody's lives. Um, then we cut to the Jetson home where we get a vision of what Jane's day is like. She is a stay at home mom. Um, and she's talking to her mom on the video phone. And then she says she's got to go, mom, because she's got to clean the house. Um, and so then she's sitting in this chair that appears to be on, like, some kind of, like, track or conveyor belt. Um, and it yeah, just... Yeah, whenever they, like, walk or have a chair, it's always on this thing. It's like the moving sidewalk at the airport. Yeah, like, they don't... I don't think they really do walk. That's, like, one of these gags. They don't walk anywhere. They're, yeah, because, like, even in yeah. the episode we'll talk about later, like, Judy comes into the dining area on a conveyor belt. So I don't... Yeah, yeah, it's, like, throughout their whole house. Yeah, so, like, obviously... They live in what we would now call a smart house. Um, Yeah. But the vision of what that includes is kind of wild sometimes. So in the future, nobody walks anywhere, even in their own home. Uh, Like that's too much work. I mean, I don't hate it. (laughs) But... (laughs) But I also would be one billion pounds, so. Right. Um, Because there doesn't seem, unlike in other uh, futuristic shows that I've watched where they do try and, like, get around, like, if everything is done for you by machine, you would be just a roly-poly pile of goo. There would Um, have to be some kind of, like, really intense workout regime, but... I mean, not that they get into that in like the twenty-minute episodes, or but. you would just, or everyone would just like take nutrition pills only, like or some, uh, you know what I mean, like, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's like, um, what I feel like we watched some show where like we talked about they had like food in a thing and like it had no calories. I don't know, maybe yeah, I that that's just that's a it. Star Trek invention, which is that oh. you can have something that looks and tastes like one thing, but then has like the nutritional content of another thing. There you go. That's maybe what it is. Yeah. Maybe they're super eating, super healthy. So. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, this little, all of, a lot of, especially this episode, I guess because it's early on in the show's kind of run, is a, just like setups of like, look at what the future yeah. will be like. And so we see Jane. Yeah. Jane is like, quote unquote, cleaning the house. But what she's really doing is sitting in a chair that moves around and directing robots to do stuff. Um, I mean awesome which maybe like she's just got a really first first gen Zumba or or no Roomba uh, (laughs) that's like going around Um, then uh, we come to then Judy kind of comes into the room and is telling Jane oh that's what it is because like Jane is like you better tell your friends to go home because your father's going to come home from work soon and her friends have come Mm. over to watch the Jet Screamer show um and jet screamer is judy's favorite like musician guy um aka he's he's like elvis yeah slash like 
any other teen idols of that time. Yes. Um, and when he comes in to his TV show or into a room casually, as he will later, he comes in literally like spinning like a hurricane. Like <laughs> the animation just shows like a swirl and then he swirls in and then the first words out of his mouth every time are babe, babe, babe. Um, and then he like goes on about his business. Now I do just want to say briefly that Jet Screamer, uh, is voiced by an actor named Howard Morris, um, who uh, was a Shakespearean actor, um, and then oh. actually changed his direction of career when he met Carl Reiner at random. <laughs> um, Whoa! Yeah, like a lot of these stories when when somebody's like career is such that like because who was it we were talking about before where they got into acting oh it was Johnny Depp got into acting because he just like ran into Nick Cage <laughs> I hate that those stories make me mad those sto- I gotta say those stories I'm make just me like mad. how do you randomly run into these people but you know I do think and have them be like oh yeah you should definitely be come with me to Hollywood come and then like you get famous yeah no that's annoying um but I do have to say it probably was easier in the 50s than it would be now to have a run-in of that nature um but so any that's true and it anyway yeah go ahead so he uh I presume he probably was maybe in the New York kind of acting scene if he's a Shakespearean actor and presumably what happened as a result of meeting Carl Reiner is he decides to go to Hollywood um, and he yeah. and he again is somebody who's both in front of the camera and also doing voice work. Um, but most kind of importantly in this sense is after he does uh, Jet Screamer, he then becomes the voice of Jughead Jones and all of the various Archie related cartoons oh. that come out in the '60s as well. Interesting. Um, so hmm. that's his deal. Um, so that okay. so okay so. Now we know the setup of the show, which is there's going to be drama related to Jet Screamer. Um, While Judy and her friends are watching Jet Screamer in, I guess, the family room or whatever, George comes home extremely angry because he's gotten another ticket. I wasn't alive in the 60s, so what do I actually know? But it was like super like 60s dad vibes, which is like... I'm coming home and I'm angry and give me my martini, which he gets. Right. And like put on my slippers and I need to relax. I've been working hard all day. Everyone leave me alone, you know? Right. Um, he, he is like just kind of angry. At least in this episode, his like yeah. set point is anger and it doesn't really anger. change yeah. the remainder of the show. Um, yeah. Now you just breezed past how he gets that drink at the end of the day. Because much like Jane has her conveyor belt chair that takes her around the house, he also has a conveyor belt chair that he, like, sets himself into. And then it kind of, like, goes behind a screen. And when he comes back out of the screen, his, his shoes are off. The chair has fully reclined. He's got a martini in one hand and a cigar in the other and he's immediately placated as a result of this which I get that also just that just reminded me of the 60s because even take away like the conveyor belt part of it but like you know 
instead of the conveyor belt, it would be like the wife handing him that stuff and him just like coming and sitting down. Right. And then as well in this whole exchange where he arrives and he's like grumbly and then he kind of settles down, he lets it slip that in the future, a tough work day is only three hours long. Gosh, man, it's, you know... 2060 sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to walk. We don't know what food is, but we do know drinks are around. And you only got to work three hours a day. Pretty good. I mean, I'm a little bummed that I'm going to be too old to enjoy it when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have been working eight hours a day during your work life like a chump. And then like some kind of chump working eight hours a day. And now all these youngsters behind me don't get don't have to only work three hours. They don't have to walk ever. And by this time, I probably won't physically be able to walk. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm mad. (laughs) I'm mad. And I think that they should all still have to work eight hours a day because I had to. Just the same way as because uh, other people had to pay off their college loans right. and their student loans that everyone should have to pay it off because it makes me personally mad <laughs> and I'm the only one who matters. Correct. So Totally 100%. Now here's another little hot take that I'm going to add to that, which is <laughs> I think most people could work three hours a day now and everything would continue on just fine you know what Uh, 1000 percent agree because the eight hour workday man i could go off but it's arbitrary (laughs) i mean it's arbitrary right like that's just something we decided was like the thing we decided that because people used to work 20 hours a day and that seemed not okay that does seem not okay um (laughs) But if you condensed it to three and just said, like, these are the hours that I work, that's it. That's what it is. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, why would that be so bad? Anyway, excuse me, government, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Please fix Please change that up. (laughs) We know you don't have much to do in the near future. So, like, please just get on to this immediately. That should be number one. I don't know what other priorities... (laughs) There's no other priorities going on in the world. I think changing the eight-hour workday to three is what we should be working on. Yes. And also while we're at it, three-day work week, four-day weekend. Yes. Just saying. Anyway. From the Jetsons Wikipedia page, it does also look like not only is a workday three hours, that it might be a three-day work week. I can't remember for sure. Holy shit. No, we can't. Okay. I want to live in 2060. Okay. We, like... Try and like let this okay, go. Continue. So we can Yeah. <laughs> now you continue. What happens? Jet Screamer and now George you're, is home and now you're just as mad as George is the whole episode. I am. <laughs> I am. That's why I had to get there. Um so anyway, George comes home to discover that Judy and her friends are dancing to Jet Screamer's song. Um they have an anti gravity function in the family room, so they're dancing like on the ceiling. I love that. Uh, George does not love it. He hates it. Um, (laughs) He calls the music noise. Um, Of course, Jane, as is often the case, moms are like, get to be the hip ones and dads 
have to be angry all the time. Um, so yeah. that's the situation. But then there's an important thing that gets dropped in this little interchange, which is that George knows how to play the drums. And that will become oh, yeah. important later. So just like lock that away for later. And then George comes into Judy's room. Uh, I guess this must, yeah, this is like just before dinner. Um, so yeah. he comes into her room and he's like, oh, you're working on your homework. That's great. And she's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot uh in fact what she's doing is she's writing a song to enter a competition to win a date with jet screamer so insert joke about win a date with tad hamilton movie here um or any or any i feel like i mean it reminds me of bye bye birdie yes. and all of those yes. like win a kiss with conrad birdie yeah that. yeah um, so, but George hates this and he, so he like gets so angry. He's like, I'm taking away all your jet screamer stuff and you can't listen to him and blah, blah, blah. So he like steals the posters off her wall and like, I guess takes some records or whatever. And he like leaves her room thinking that he has solved what he perceives to be a problem immediately. Um, but then as soon as he leaves the room, Judy exposes an entire hidden wall's worth of posters of Jet Screamer. Uh, so mm -hmm. she is not over it. Um, George then, however, is on the phone to his son, Elroy. Um, and it's unclear to me how Elroy can be on a video call because Elroy doesn't have a phone. Because he's a child? And he doesn't. Like, is there just... And he's in a sandbox? Yeah. Like, where is this sandbox and why is it being surveilled by a drone? Which apparently, I don't know. Maybe the parents. I mean, it's like whoever's kid is there. They like, it makes no sense. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So he's on the phone with Elroy saying, it's time to come home, Elroy. And Elroy's like, no, me and my friend are like still playing. And George, I, get, I guess this must be some kind of drone because he's got like a thing that comes. He pulls him, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got like, yeah. like you know, in arcades when there's that game where it's like the claw yes. hand that picks up yes. and it like never picks up a toy. Um, mm -hmm. In the future, that's improved because now you can use that same technology to literally you pick up your child. Yeah, literally pick up your child and bring them home uh, from their play date. And so that's what happens. I mean... I hope that's the main thing that they improve in the future is that piece of video game equipment or whatever you would call that so that that little clock can actually pick something up. I mean, so, so far, what you really need our government leaders yep. to get onto is the three-hour, yep. three-day work week and improving yep. the scooper at the arcade game thing. Correct. Yep, that's okay. what I need. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. No judgment, mm -hmm. just those, just clarify. those are my demands. Got it. Um, yeah. So when Elroy returns home soon after, uh, he explains that part of the reason why he was like so kind of engrossed in his play is because he and his friend were inventing a secret code. Um, mm. And then he explains like the secret code is like "eep up orc." Uh, uh means <laughs> come home or something i can't remember the exact uh, thing uh -huh. but so george is like uh -huh. okay kid like whatever um and then <laughs> they all sit down and have dinner together and there's like a whole bit where the pizza flies in the air and we like we don't need to super deal with that <laughs> um so after dinner 
uh, George and Jane are sitting together, kind of like just think, talking about the day. And George is very smugly saying he's nipped this jet screamer problem right in the bud. There's like nothing to worry about. Judy's like back on track. Um, now, needless to say, in the midst of this kind of self-congratulatory speech, Judy comes in <laughs> and she says, um, Mom, would you please mail this song that I've written into the Jet Screamer show so that I can win this contest. <laughs> so George is, needless to say, disappointed that his plan has not worked. Um, so Judy, like a chump, did not seal the envelope of her song. Yeah, what was she thinking? So, well, probably she thought her parents weren't complete dickheads, but she would be wrong. Yeah, and yeah. specifically, she'd be yeah. wrong about her father. So, yeah. Uh, George then takes out the song, the original song that Judy wrote, which we'd never learn what that was. We don't know what that original mm -hmm. song was. Um, and replaces the song with Elroy's code, Eep Up, Ork, Ah Ah. Um, and then he laughs yep. to himself. He's like, this will never work. Now, <laughs> uh, the, the following day, and again, I think this is like the future really is something because she, they move fast. They move, she mails in this letter, uh, some evening. And then by the following day, the decision has been made. Um, it's like Amazon. I mean, it's like the Amazon of the future. I know that. Like, if, let's say, because, like, of course, in the 1960s, they say the mail, and it's an envelope, and it's like, okay. But, like, even email-based stuff, um, yeah. just based on the sheer amount of entries, I have a hard time believing that by the following day, a decision about a winner of any contest oh, yeah. could be decided. <laughs> oh, no, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but I guess it's the future, so who cares? So... Uh, Judy then is like actively in anticipation, putting on the Jet Screamer show to see if she's won. Um, by this point, George feels a bit bad about what he's done. Um, and it's like, well, you know, it's okay if you don't win. And like a lot of people entered and he's like trying to soften the blow. But mm -hmm. what happens? She wins. Yes, she wins with Elroy's <laughs> secret code song. Um, but just to even add kind of an interesting dynamic, Elroy then reveals, like when they hear this on the TV show, uh, Elroy reveals that it's still Judy's song because Judy came up with the secret code as well. Um, so clearly Judy is <laughs> actually pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, she's brilliant. Uh, but that never really gets brought up. Um, and George, of course, is extremely irritated that his terrible mean-spirited plan, uh, did not work out and that his ability to crush <laughs> his daughter's dreams didn't happen. Um, so, and again, this all moves very quickly. So it's announced that Judy has won the competition and then the staff of the Jet Screamers show basically like immediately come to the Jetson home to start mm -hmm. filming there uh, and like film mm -hmm. and take photographs of the start of the date. Um, <laughs> and George, when he realizes he's going to be on TV, he starts being like, ooh, this, 
now I feel great about this and I can't believe I was going to stop. So he's like, I'm really not a fan of him in this episode is all I no, got to really say. A, he's really a buzzkill and very selfish. Um, But of course he makes a fool and of for himself. for no reason. I know. Like I know. I don't get it. I mean, but that's the whole thing. I think... Not like this is not just throwing 1960s sitcoms under the bus. I think like straight up sitcoms from any era have to like concoct conflict. Of course. And so it's easier to do that when you're just like the dad's always angry. (laughs) Yeah. Or he's just like a complete crazo because yeah, exactly. It's true there's so many times in soap operas or soap operas soap operas too but soap operas and sitcoms where it's like well that's like the most ludicrous decision you could make in this scenario so like okay yes um so that's precisely what happens he uh looks like a buffoon when he wants to be on tv uh judy faints when she first meets jet who again oh my god he like whirl he literally whirls into the room and just says baby 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 (laughs) um and then but like judy recovers and they get into jet's car and they drive off to go on their date whereupon george decides to follow them in his own car um then like the date itself is a lot of him following them around to different locations mm-hmm. and again showing like different gadgets that the car has so he's like eavesdropping on them and getting mm-hmm. upset because it he thinks he's heard one thing but in fact it's something else um follows them around to, to three different locations um and then finally they arrive at something called the swivel lounge which is Jet Screamer's, like, performance space and club. Um, mm-hmm. And I did like this. The club is only for teenagers. Yeah, I like that, too. <laughs> that was funny. So, like, George tries to go in, and the bouncer is like, what are you doing here, bub? No, and, you're too old. And then I think he first says he's 17, and the guy's like, no. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'm 19. And he's like, definitely not get out of here um so so george has no luck getting in the front of the swivel lounge but then he discovers the band entrance and the band is coming in and so he just like literally walks in behind them pretending he's part of the band um Mm -hmm. and then he gives this this is where things got a little weird for me then he gives the drummer of the band ten dollars to bribe him to let him play the drums for the band and the and the kid he bribes says that ten dollars is enough for him to not do anything for a week and everything i know about the future suggests that what that should have been is like a thousand dollar bill yeah you know like yeah um but maybe maybe there's also some major economic corrections that happen between. I mean, that would be great. <laughs> It'd be great. It's well. I mean, also that's funny because it's very. It's also very sixties, right. right? Like I don't know. I even. I even feel like ten dollars is low for the sixties. But like, um, to say that you don't need to do anything for a week. I mean, I know. I guess that he's supposed to be a kid, but, um, 
Yeah, I I mean, it would be great if $10 was all you needed to get through the week. Shit. Yeah. I'd probably I'd probably quit my job right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, this gambit works. George then takes over at the drums, um, and then Judy and Jet are surprised to discover that he's there. But Jet is like, come on, man, play us a l- groovy tune or whatever. Um... <laughs> And so then George uses his drumming techniques to do this like crazy drum solo, uh, which Mm -hmm. is then the intro to then we finally get like a musical break where we hear Judy's song um, played by Jet Screamer and his band. Um, Mm. And it's like a little music video of Eep Up or yeah. uh-uh. <laughs> um, and it's not terrible. I didn't hate it. I'm no, not going to lie. No, it was fine. I mean, for a kid's I mean, it's sh- like, ridiculous, but... Yeah, for just a cartoon thing, it was fine. Um, and so then the final scene of this episode is that Jane is waiting up at home for Judy and George to come back from... Well, Judy from her date, George from his spying on her. Um... <laughs> And when they come back, Judy comes in first and she's like, oof, I'm tired, long day, oh my gosh. Um, And then Jane's like, well, where's your father? And she's like, well, here he comes. And then George now enters the house like Jet Screamer. He's spinning around like a dervish (laughs) and then comes in and says, baby, baby, baby. Um, (laughs) And he's like having a cool ass time from his night out. And then Judy reveals that George is now the president of the Jet Screamer fan club. Um, and the two of them sing like a couple refrains from Eep Up Orc Ah Ah. And so that's that episode. Uh, I mean, classic. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think the message of that one is, uh, I mean, that to me seems very 60s of this thing of like kids today, grumble, grumble. Um, yeah. and then you go into something with like kind of bad intentions and then you emerge and you're like, actually it's pretty good. And now I can understand my kids better. Um, and that's a, I mean, the first part is problematic, but the like finding common ground with your kids in the 1960s is a good message. Um, yeah, sure. So getting over your shit. <laughs> yes. Um, so now we're going to talk about. Another Judy-themed episode, which comes from season two, episode four, which is Judy's Mm. birthday surprise, which originally airs on the 19th of September, 1985. So 23 years separate what we just talked about and what we're about to talk about now. Um, And I did not realize that when watching it because it still felt very 60s. No, they did a really great job. Um, like the people responsible for the second and, and third installments of the Jetsons did a really good job of, I think, like remaining true to the concept, the design, like kind of what yeah. whatever was established in the first one. Because I had no idea that there was yeah. that difference. And even when I was like looking up this information, I had to double check it because it's like, is it just that it's listing 1985 because that's when it was like released on video for the first time? Like I was really yeah. trying to figure out if that was somehow wrong and it is not like this is when this comes out. Yeah. Um, so. And wait, can I ask what year, what year does 16 Candles come out? Why? 
Because that's what this episode reminded me of. Oh, I don't know which came first. Okay, hold on. This was, I was not prepared for this, so now I have to look it oh, up. Oh, sorry. Uh, 1984. It, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Because that's what this episode absolutely reminded me of. Fair enough. The story. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Um, so this episode also has two characters that... Uh, get added into the family later on in season one, which is Astro and Rosie, um, who are not like super important to the story, but just so that we know now they're there. Whereas the first season, they don't quite show up until a bit later in that season. Yeah. So, um, and in fact, the opening kind of cold open of this episode involves Astro having a back and forth with a weird cat that we don't really need to discuss <laughs> for any reason. And even mm-hmm. even when watching it, I was like, why is this here? <laughs> like, I just yeah. didn't know. Um, but so the real purpose of this story is, um, again, one of my favorites, which is using flashbacks to tell a story. <laughs> um <laughs> And we start out in Judy's bedroom and she's like looking through all of her clothes and items because she's looking for her diary. And Mm -hmm. we get to see kind of her future smart house bedroom because like actually this reminded me a lot of like in Clueless when Cher has like the mechanized closet where like everything kind of swirls around because Judy has Mm -hmm. like like a an arm I guess is how I describe it but like all her clothes shoot out of a cabinet (laughs) and she can see them all hanging there and then her shoes raise up on a platform that she can see yeah um so she's looking through that because she's looking through her diary for her diary and Mm -hmm. she manages to locate it and what does she call her diary Oh, I did not like this. She calls it die die. I didn't like it either. I was like, is it because she's a baby or is it because she's yeah. trying to give it like a name? And if it needed a name, why isn't it just Dee Dee? Yeah, I don't I didn't like it. And I mean, it it makes her seem babyish, but also like I mean, I don't remember if it was in this episode or not. But she calls her dad daddy, and that's mm-hmm. another thing that I really, yeah. really hate when I think when it's like adult people. Yeah, I think it's in this one that she says daddy a lot. But also, like I can't do her voice right, but she has this very specific voice where she's like, "Oh, die die, let me tell you." Yeah. you know, like there's something about it, and the daddy thing is the same way. It's I think it's almost how she hits the D. It, there's something yeah. really annoying about it, um, and baby yeah. sounding. Which, in a way. Which, I mean, is probably accurate to, like, a teenage girl's voice. A teenage girl's voice is... <laughs> More childish obnoxious. sounding. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she finds her die-die. And do you, can you also do me a favor and try your best to describe what die-die looks like? Oh, yeah, sure. It's a floating pair of lips with an antenna. <laughs> And, and right? yes, and what color are the lips? Red. Yes. So like, you, it looks like the Rolling Stones lips. Yes. But like, but not. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say to me, it reminds me of those weird fakey wax red lips uh, that yeah, are yeah. also yucky. But yes, it looks exactly like that. And it sometimes seemed like it looked like it was vaguely heart shaped. 
sometimes. Yes. Um, which also yes. rang true for me for like a girl's diary or whatever. So it's like this very silly yeah. thing. So, but the whole thing is like Die Die isn't just a recording device. Die Die also talks back. So she's like a little AI yep. who yeah. catalogs life. And um, this is really important because Die Die has a real sassy personality on her as things go on. Um, oh, and I should also, this is where I wanted to mention. So the actor who plays Dai Dai, who voices Dai Dai, um, when I heard it, like the more I heard that voice, the more I was like, I swear to God, I know who this is. Who is this? Um, and I kept thinking of Sally from the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, because mm -hmm. Sally has like a raspy voice and has a similarly kind of sassy pants attitude. And mm. what I learned is that Die Die is voiced by an actor named Selma Diamond, who was 42 uh, mm -hmm. when this uh, episode came out. Um, and Selma Diamond was actually, oh, sorry. No, she was older than that by then. 42 is like when the 60s were. Sorry, I did the math wrong on there. Mm. Um, mm. So Selma Diamond is actually someone who has a really interesting backstory because she began as a TV writer, one of the few mm. original female TV writers that there were. And, in, and she was actually the inspiration for Sally on The Dick Van Dyke Show. Huh, but she didn't play her. No, Rose, what's the woman? The actress's name, I think, is Rose Marie. Um, oh. But so Selma Diamond and this one other uh, female writer who I want to say her name was like Lu Lucille somebody, I can't remember her full name. Um, they both inspired the character of Sally. Um, hmm. And so, so I was like, oh, this totally checks out now why I thought it was Sally coming through the voice of Die Die. <laughs> like, uh, that is funny. Because it kind of was Sally from the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, huh. And you, I think we've off air talked about the show Night Court before, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a weird sentence to say. Uh, yeah, but so, it is. So for those of you who are wondering, like, who is this Selma, Selma Diamond lady and you're not thinking of Dick Van Dyke show because that's like not a reference point for you. I get it. It's weird <laughs> that someone who's, under 65 would have the Dick Van Dyke show as a reference point. Um, <laughs> if you are familiar with Night Court, which you couldn't possibly be if you were under 35, um, she is the kind of back talking sassy, um, like court stenographer lady in that show. Um, okay. And so anyway, that's her situation. Um, so that is who is voicing this sassy pants AI diary machine. <laughs> um, and what Judy wants to tell Dai Dai is the story of her, I think, is it her 16th birthday? Is that what we're, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the whole episode is the pretty common kind of like backing and forthing, uh, where Judy is telling the story. And so sometimes we're seeing Judy in her bedroom with Dai Dai and other times we're like back in the past of the story. So yeah. we start the story, which I think is supposed to be at the beginning of that same week. Um, yeah. Because Judy's birthday is on Saturday night. I think she's telling Dai Dai about this on Sunday morning. And, yeah. and then when we go back to the past, I think we start on like Monday. 
or something. Yeah. So uh, Judy is in her car driving to Orbit Academy or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and her car breaks down in the sky. Now, right. that seems dangerous. It does. And she's just like sat there. She's and, just floating like, in the air. Yeah. Uh, which seems, I don't think that is how f- flying cars work. But, um, so she's sitting there stranded and like all of these various popular boys from school pass by, uh, and like talk to her, but don't help her do anything. Um, because they're all too cool or like are off on some kind of adventure and so they can't help her. And so then this guy like literally like flies up alongside her, introduces himself as Curly Quasar um and in comparison to like the three guys who she's spoken to before curly it's pretty obvious that curly is a massive nerd Dork. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's got big glasses he's really short he's got red hair i mean what more do you yeah. need all the things um but he's the only one who actually helps her um because he like Which also story checks out <laughs> yes indeed uh and he tells her that she's out of fuel pellets whoops yep whatever that means uh she forgot to gas up her car um but again this is the whole thing is like since they're on earth and they're not in space like they're still in atmosphere the sky is blue like yeah if you were in a flying car Flying cars don't stop the laws of gravity. So if... Yes, they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) So if... That's what this show tells us. So if your car broke down because you had no more fuel, you would be plummeting toward Earth. Like, just, you'd be dead. There's no way this happens. Um, Yeah, of course. But in the midst of of Curly helping Judy, she mentions that her birthday's coming up at the end of the week. And he's like, well, cool. This seems like an unrelated piece of information, but fine. (laughs) Um, And so then we cut back to Judy and Dai-Dai. And Dai-Dai is like super uninterested in this story because it's about a nerd. (laughs) Yep. I guess that's that's how this works. Pretty much my takeaway from this. So then we go back to earlier in the week in the build up to Judy's birthday. And she and it's Judy waking up someday during the week getting ready for school. And now not only does she have this AI diary situation, she also has what I have to assume is an AI like administrative assistant thing called a memo minder. <laughs> Um, who mm-hmm. is, so it's like she wakes up and, uh, in the future, it's weird. She's still sleeping in curlers, which is a thing I don't get. Oh God. Um, yeah. That was funny too. So she's in her curlers. Her memo minder is telling her about her schedule for the day and like the upcoming week. And she's, and of course, because Judy's so popular, she's got like 8 trillion dates in the next couple days. <laughs> um, and then... Judy tells the memo minder that uh, she has told her parents that she doesn't want a surprise birthday party this year because they've done it every year in the past. And Mm. the memo minder like makes this face. And I don't know how I can describe (laughs) a ball of metal making a face, um, but that's what happens. (laughs) 
<laughs> and because in Judy's plan, she's saying she doesn't want to party so that they give her a party. Right. She, as you do. Yes. It's very reverse psychology. Also, like reverse yeah. psychology, I'm not sure that that was ever a thing that truly a psychologist recommended um why did we why did people start I mean people really gravitate to that well again I think it's or at least in shows that's the whole thing that I was going to say it's like in sitcoms in particular since they have to gin up some kind of conflict the the if yeah like the idea that reverse psychology is a thing that exists is yeah is perfect for that kind of nonsense yeah that's true because then it because again it's just like I mean there's so many shows and movies where I say this all the time and I understand why it's illogical, but I always say, like, if they had had one conversation, the rest of this movie didn't have to happen. Well, right. If they had had, like... <laughs> yeah. Well, you and know, in this like, case, because reverse psychology is perfect for these kinds of setups because then you're yeah. actively telling someone the wrong thing. Yeah. So and like in real life, so naturally life, conflict to you, will I don't want a birthday party. Yeah, of course. <laughs> because if someone came up to me and said, I 100% don't want a birthday party. Don't you dare throw me a birthday party. Guess what I wouldn't do? Throw them a birthday party. Correct. Because they just told me they didn't want that. And now like, here's the perversity of the whole thing. That person may very well be upset with you when you don't do the thing they asked you not to do. But... I know. But what they wouldn't say, generally speaking, is I was using reverse psychology on you. What they probably True. would say is I told you I didn't want a party and I kind of... But you were supposed to know. You were supposed to know or I really truly thought I didn't want one, but now that I'm here and I don't have one, I'm sad. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought you would have cared about me enough to do it anyway or like... Yeah, some other type of bullshit, which is why, like, I have no time for that. Well, like, look, I'm not I'm even, not I'm that. trying to give this person the benefit of the doubt and say they're not manipulative or passive aggressive. <laughs> I'm just saying that sometimes we think we want something, and then when we get to the moment, we realize we didn't yeah. want it. Of course, of course. I will say that if I said to someone flat out, I don't want this thing, and then I didn't get that thing, I feel as though no matter what I truly felt inside of like a little disappointment that I didn't get the thing, I would be like, I have no way of actually being angry at this person because I said the words, I don't want that. Correct. <laughs> yes. Um, but all the same, in the case anyway. in the case of this <laughs> miraculous tale, um, <laughs> Judy is explaining to the memo minder this situation. And the memo minder, mm-hmm. like I said, for an inanimate object somehow makes a face um, that suggests that George and Jane had been planning not to do a party. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the way this all ends up, uh, I think the memo minder must tell them she's expecting a party and they fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because then Judy comes into the uh, breakfast area with the rest of the family on a conveyor belt um and she's irritated at her brother because Elroy is doing some kind of an invention on the dining room table and then there's a gag where Astro quote like brings in the news disc 
in his mouth Mm -hmm. so he's like chewed it up so when the newscaster comes on to the screen he's got holes in his clothes because they've been chewed up (laughs) by you know like that couldn't happen that makes no sense but like that's that's the gag um yeah and because Judy has committed to this weird reverse psychology thing, um, and similarly her parents have also committed to this nonsense, um, they're pretending that they don't know that her birthday is on Saturday, and she's like mm-hmm. in the breakfast room talking about like, isn't it strange? Like another year passed. Oh, where does the time go? Um <laughs> And I have to say, like, just in by virtue of like the pandemic, I was like, yeah, where does the time go, Judy? Like, I mean, honestly. that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so then, like, the tail end of this little scene is that Jane tells Judy that she and George have plans for Saturday night, um, and acting mm-hmm. like that's no big deal because they don't know that Saturday night is any important day. And then Judy, because she thinks she's playing it super smart, is like, sure, mom and dad, I get it. You've got plans. Wink. And they're like, what are you winking for? Oh, no reason. Wink, wink. Like, you know, it's like very (laughs) stupid. Um, Yeah. And so then we cut to like later that day, Judy is driving back to school um, and Curly like wants to say hello to her because he helped her and now he's like we're friends um but she's like we're not friends dummy you're just the (laughs) schmuck who helped me with my car when all those cool guys that I actually like wouldn't be bothered um (laughs) and so she like ignores him to get to class and as she's so she parks her car and then she's like getting into the school and she's like pondering if that was like a shitty thing to do to someone (laughs) um which the answer is yes it was um and so while she's pondering this some cool guy I don't really know I can't remember what his name is but he's like identified as cool guy um (laughs) asks her if she wants to go to the Jet Screamer concert on Saturday so luckily we know who that is phew um but she says no because she's got other plans Um, and in the midst of this like conversation, Curly kind of shows up to say hello to Judy again, uh, and she runs away from him and ignores him. God. (laughs) Yes. Um, so then we cut back to Judy in her bedroom talking to Di-Di, and Di-Di is like, I can't believe you said no to this date to the cool guy. Like, what's up with that? You're really playing this all wrong, (laughs) stupid. Like, Di-Di is not just passive aggressive, she's aggressive. She's like yeah. super judgy. She doesn't give great advice. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, she just wants Judy to like hang out with the cool guys and be popular or whatever, which admittedly, if she's programmed to be a teen girl's diary, I guess that checks out. I guess um, so. So then we go back into the past um, and it's later in the week and all of these same cool guys are calling Judy up on the video phone asking if she wants to go on a date on Saturday and she keeps saying no to all of them, uh, you know, because this has to set up like the potentially most embarrassing situation for Judy. Um, yeah. Judy then goes to interrogate Rosie to find out about the birthday party. Rosie says nothing's planned. Judy doesn't believe Mm -hmm. it. So then she goes to search through Elroy's room to find presents for herself, which she does not find. (laughs) Um, Then 
her mom, then Jane comes in and says, Judy, uh, a boy named Curly Quasar called you. Um, and Judy does not return his call. Um, and Judy, Judy is still presuming that this party is imminent and happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then Jane does the coup de grace because she's like, oh, here's the outfit I have planned for George and I to wear when we're out on Saturday. And now Judy mm -hmm. all of a sudden is like, oh, no. Oh, oh no. Shit. My plan that I constructed so carefully is falling apart <laughs> around me. <laughs> um, so we return to her in the present, and this is a bit of a head scratcher based on what happens after this, Judy is now crying about remembering about how she thought her party was going to be canceled. <laughs> um, that, I mean, that actually sort of sounds very teenage girl. It does. Like... <laughs> it does. Um, and uh, Dai Dai is not sympathetic about this turn of events <laughs> at all. <laughs> So the final bit of this story is, as you would expect, it's Saturday night now. Judy has ended up all alone on her birthday. She's trying to call all these guys who wanted to have dates with her earlier in the week. And they all have their like outgoing message saying, I'm at some cool ass party. Too bad for you, dummy. <laughs> um, and so she feels really bad and sorry for herself. Then Curly Quasar calls and he asks, if he can come over and celebrate her birthday with her. And she says yes, because of course now she has like no Aww. other options but to say yes to him. And when he shows up, which takes like, he like literally just shows up at her house. Um, <laughs> and what he has done is he's made her this gift of like, a, it's like a pre-programmed limerick teller thing, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which... I don't like limericks, so this would not be a great gift for me. Um, good to know. Good to know. But Judy likes it. Um, yeah. And in fact, Curly has programmed one of the limericks to be himself asking Judy to go to the movies. And Aww. Judy says yes, um, because apparently Aww. now she's not as much of a bitch as she was before. Um, yeah, the week she really aged in this week indeed really, like, matured indeed and then like as soon as she like thanks him for thinking of her and I guess what we're supposed to infer is that she's learned a bit of something about herself and other people um then like mm -hmm. this magical like frisbee comes in and like twirls <laughs> through the room and then everyone is like transported they all appear there so I think maybe there's transporter technology in the future i, I don't that. really know um because then literally yeah. every person like all these guys she's tried to go on dates with her parents like and then many other people show up for the surprise party that had always been planned um Aww. and isn't it great and everyone's happy and judy's so happy now the final scene I did really enjoy because <laughs> Judy has clearly been prattling and prattling on and Dai has fallen asleep during the story. And she kind of like Love that. comes to and she's like, well, I'm glad you're happy, Judy. And she's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> um, and that is the end of Judy's birthday 
surprise, and the end of our little Judy-themed exploration of the Jetsons. I imagine we may come back to other episodes of the Jetsons as time yeah. goes on because it is a nice, like, little palate cleansery one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, as well, I, don't, I was realizing when I was doing this, like, I don't think we've done a lot of animated sci-fi no we haven't Um, I don't know if you've done any this might be the first yeah so that's kind of fun as well and also you might be interested Mm -hmm. to know that Hanna-Barbera does a lot of weird stuff like I discovered there's a Yogi Bear in space series of things um so we may also kind of branch out into some more Hanna-Barbera space related items as the day goes on um cool so Let's just wrap up, as always, with yawns yeah. and eye rolls. Um, so, and we'll come, we'll do both of the episodes together as like one yeah, yeah. thing. So for yawns, yeah. one yawn is, I was not bored at all. I was engaged. And 10 yawns is like really something about 1960s something couldn't get into it. Where would you fall? Uh, I would say probably a two, only because uh, I wasn't, like, glued to the TV. I wasn't, like, but it was short, and I was I had no problems, but I might not go as far as a one, but I'll say two. Yeah, I would say also maybe, like, maybe a two as well, because it's more, like, it's very short. These are easy to get through. Um, the only yeah. reason I wouldn't give it a full one is just because by now – like sitcom storylines are so predictable that it's yeah just a bit dull to watch you know yeah. like in that sense but yeah. um that's the only reason and in terms of yeah. eye rolls one eye roll <laughs> being i don't know it's a sci-fi cartoon show <laughs> mm-hmm. um and 10 eye rolls is like this is asking a lot of me about what the future <laughs> holds what what would Ooh. you put it as? Oh, that's tough because it is just like a sci-fi space show that's animated. Um, I might say like six or seven mm. because I think we even even with this being what it is, we've watched like way crazier stuff for me. Um, but. Yeah, it's like the 60s in space, but it's not space. It's actually Earth, but we never see Earth. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some there's some big suspension of disbelief here, but it's also a cartoon, so, you know, yeah. I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I think I would do with some I might just give it a solid 7 in that capacity, yeah. not because it's really showing us anything that's so kind of off the wall for what the future might be, Um, particularly in the realm of like how people in the sixties or even the eighties thought about what automation might look like. Mm -hmm. Um, But more Mm -hmm. just like, especially the first episode we talked about, it's like a lot of sight gags. It's like a lot of gags about the future, um, which kind of make me be like, okay, we get it. It's the future. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know? Um, Don't use this future thing to trick me about the fact that this plot, even in 1962, is already super old and hackneyed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, That's not going to distract me from that reality. Um, Yeah. 
But so overall, like, would you say you enjoyed these and would you recommend yeah. them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would, uh, I don't know that I would say like, go ahead and like binge them all to like somebody unless that was like their jam. But yeah, I would recommend. Um, it's fun. It's a cute little look into the future and also into the past all at the yes, same time. Indeed. Um, <laughs> So it's it's fun and super palatable. So yeah, I would I would recommend it and I like it. Yeah, I would say definitely and it's also like a real easy one for like if you've got kids and you want to just like watch something mm-hmm. that isn't going to totally make you want to punch your face out like um like this I think really could be fine and enjoyable for young kids and still kind of pleasant for you as an adult rather than kind of some other stuff. Um, And it's, yeah, I don't know that it's a bingeable show because there is a point where you're like, that's enough. Like it's a little kitschy. Like sometimes it's a little too blah in a sense, but yeah, um, yeah, so give it a try if you somehow have never seen the Jetsons before. Um, And well, thank you, Amy. It was a pleasure as always. I'm Sarah and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at See You Next Week in Space. Until the next one.